Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Cape Sports Now, the Cape Cod Times podcast and Facebook live show covering all things high school sports here on Cape Cod. I'm Matt Goisman alongside Steve Jordarian. Steve, this is our last episode of the year. We had the state tournament last week, and after this, we're going to kind of take a break for a little while. Yeah, it's such a grind. I mean, I, I almost want to look back at the first show from back in the fall. I'm wondering if I'm actually wearing the same clothes right now. <laughs> it's like the same weather as it's we had in like, the beginning of September to now. We've done so many shows, but we've enjoyed it. We made mm-hmm. a lot of progress this year, obviously being in this new room, yeah, taking in phone cool. calls. Definitely made a lot of progress, and uh, I think while we're over for a break, we're going to have uh, some new ideas coming for the fall season. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, possibly off camera. You know, we got three months <laughs> to plan out our, our season premiere. Uh, so what we're going to do on this episode, we had four teams make it all the way through the South sectionals and playing the state tournament. We're going to talk about each of them, and then... Uh, We're going to wrap it up with uh, Steve and me talking about kind of our favorite storylines from the year, the teams we followed that we most enjoyed, things like that. Uh, Not to denigrate the teams we don't mention, but these were just the teams that were the most surprising or the coolest runs or or the most emotional in some way. Um, So you want to start with baseball? Yeah, let's do it. Certainly, St. John Paul's baseball team was a, it was a roller coaster ride, so to speak, for in just about every single game they played during the postseason. Yeah, you know, they... Their run was really quite remarkable. You know, I was there for, you covered Bourne, and then I covered every game after that, you know, through the ridiculous comeback against Archbishop Williams, where they scored six runs in the bottom of the seventh. They had to come back against Mashpee. They had to come back against Abington. And then they almost came back against Manchester Essex in the state semis. Uh, Manchester Essex, by the way, went on to win the Division Four state title. So no shame in losing to the uh, state champions. You know, this was a team that they had really good senior leadership. I, I mean, Will Good played extremely well for them. He was always the guy. He was their catcher. He was always the guy kind of shouting and screaming in the uh, dugout. Darren Katzif played really well, really gave them a great uh, presence down at the bottom of the lineup along with Andrew Cassidy, uh, who pitched as well as they needed him to to keep them in the game. I, I think St. John Paul's kind of Achilles heel was they didn't really have what I thought was a true ace the way – <clears throat> they had with Joe Oriola when they were winning their state championships or Devin Harrison right after that. You know, Cole and, you know, all their other pitchers, Colby August, Cassidy, Andrew Violencourt, all of them were could, could compete and give them and keep them in games. But that guy who was going to give them like a five or six inning shutout with nine strikeouts – they didn't exactly have that, and I think that was maybe what hurt them in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was a team full of really good players, and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, strong versus weak there. And on a lot yeah, the of teams, was great. And on a lot of teams, you know, you would these guys would be the best on their respective teams, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the Cape Islands like they play. But I thought they came together really nicely, and sometimes that's what you need in a sport like this, you know, a team-based sport. Um, but yeah, I, I was wondering, I'm curious, you know, when you're at that state semifinal against mm-hmm. Manchester, as it was that, that palpable sense that they were going to do it again, that they were going to rally and overcome and win this game and move on to the state championship. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, they had the bases loaded and were down four runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. 
and I think going to the seventh, they, at least their fans maybe thought this was finally going to be the one that ended them. And then, you know, they started to come back again. They got an RBI double and all of a sudden you could feel the magic coming again. And if they'd had maybe two outs to play with instead of one, could have maybe made things interesting, maybe had a chance. But, you know, when you're down to your literally your last out, yeah, everybody's got to be perfect. And uh, I think it was Ben Baxter. He barely missed the ball. You know, he was a little off on his swing, and he flew out. Uh, Manchester Essex also kept their infield really f- close in, especially their left fielder. I think because uh, their pitchers, especially their starter, Harry Painter, was really good at hitting the outside edge, which when you do that, you know, a lot of right-handed batters aren't really going to be able to pull that ball super deep to left field, so you can play in a lot. Um, so, you know, they dug themselves a hole, which they've done every game in the postseason, and this time they just couldn't climb out of it. Right, and, you know, in many of these games, it was just unbelievable to see how much pressure they put on the other teams. Even if they weren't hitting, they'd mm-hmm. make other teams make errors, make other teams yeah. feel that pressure, which, you know, I think that speaks to the program itself, just knowing that they've been here before, and, and that's what makes baseball, I think, so fascinating is that you could play this whole tournament over again. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee you'd have two different teams oh, make yeah. it to the sectional final and just completely different results. I mean, just beating Archbishop Williams, the defending state champions, was almost a miracle in itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they <laughs> did. It's one thing to come back in the that was probably their, sixth That inning. was probably their greatest oh, comeback. Yeah, and when I was talking with the seniors, uh, Cassidy, Katsif, uh, Kevin Flynn, and uh, Will Good, all of them said that was their favorite game, you know, to – beat the team that knocked you out the year before the defending state champions and to do all the run scoring in the seventh inning. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, and I remember that game, you know, that the Archbishop Willie kids were just in shock. Right. And they get to go home now after one season of playing at the turf of mass maritime, mm-hmm. um, new, uh, Judy world and scarifile field at uh, McKeon Park. It's yep. all touched up. Now I was just down there last night, beautiful new scoreboard, new dugouts. Grass looks great. Um, should look forward to St. John Paul returning there next season. Absolutely. You know, and they have a lot of kids who will be back. Aaron Cole will be back, for instance. Roy Croft, I think it's just, it's just like a freshman or a sophomore. Sean Roy Croft, one of their big power hitters. So there's definitely a lot of core talent coming back. Uh, the, I want to see the pitching, you know, go to another level. And I'm sure all those guys are going to pitch. I know Colby August is pitching uh, in uh, American Legion ball this summer. So, you know, we'll see what another year of improvement does for all of them. But I expect them again to be a high seed because I think they're going to dominate the Cape mm-hmm. and Islands League again like they always do. So right. We did have one state champion. That's the uh, Mars Vineyard Girls tennis Absolutely. team winning their fifth consecutive state title, second straight in Division Two. You were at that match mm-hmm. uh, th- last week. Um, just what did you think of that team's performance? Under pressure again to, to win this one. Yeah, you know, when they left Division Three. Their, their last Division Three state championship in 2017, I remember going to that, and it was over in 45 minutes. I mean, right. they just steamrolled their way through. So they wanted to take on cha- a new challenge and try tougher teams. They moved up. And both of these D2 uh, games uh, championships, they had to earn. You know, last year, Kelly Claren had to win a tiebreaker uh, to win at first singles uh, and wrap up the match, although they did wind up winning that one 4-1. This one, I mean, Claren and Victoria Scott – played how we expected them to. Hannah Rabaska, all congratulations to her. That was an incredible performance to gut out this two-hour and 20-minute match at third singles in which her opponent really didn't do anything except these very, uh, and I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but they were these really aggressive lob shots. Now, 
a lob is basically just knock it back over to the other side. But it's one thing to just plop it back into the middle of the court. This girl was pegging the back line consistently with these really high balls that Rabaska had to kind of swing overhead just to knock back in play. Uh, you know, she really couldn't put a lot of power or placement on the majority of her shots. So she had to just keep volleying back the other way and hope that she would get something she could put away, something, you know, that was coming to her at the net or that was just going to land close enough that she could run up and hit it pretty hard. And it was a very nerve wracking win and in her best match of her career by far. I'm very confident saying that. So they absolutely earned this title. Right. And, you know, we, we got all season long doubles, a bit of a liability. So kudos mm-hmm. to those singles for really pulling together, having that poise. And, you know, for Claren, obviously bouncing back after she actually lost her, uh, Sexual yeah, final match, yeah. right, to come back and, and really dominate. Yeah, kind, six of set zero. The, kind of set the tone, I feel like, for the day a little bit. Yeah, 6-0, six, 6-0, zero, six, zero, that was pretty definitive. You know, we were kind of, we were a little wrong about this because we thought that because true, yeah. their third singles player from last year, who Rabaska beat pretty easily, was now their one singles player, that the whole lineup was going to be weaker. And maybe at first and second singles that was true because Victoria Scott, you know, she gave up a couple of games in the first set at two singles, but then she cruised and she won the second set 6-0, but their third singles player was no joke. I mean, mm-hmm. she played really, really well and executed the best game plan she could have because if she went with anything straighter, Rabaska would have killed her because Rabaska beat up beat her up pretty good in the first set. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, now five straight sectional ties, no doubt it's a dynasty. I think we said the same thing last year after they won in Division Two. I think they were a dynasty after winning three in, right. in D3, but, yeah. Um, and this was... I don't know, want to say it's the last time, but definitely I think the team is going to have to rebuild a little bit next year, and I don't know if that's going to translate to the same postseason success. They're losing Claren, uh, who's going to Merrimack, and they're losing um, uh, Victoria Scott, who's going to Bates, uh, and they're both going to play tennis there. So that leaves a lot of underclassmen. Rabaska kind of figures she's the favorite now to take over at one singles, and then what happens to the double players of uh, Molly Pogue, Cheska Potter, uh, Tessa Hammond, Alex Rigo, all those girls, do they stay together and do they fill in with new singles players? Do they split some of them up? Uh, so we'll see what the team looks like next year. But I think, I don't know that another undefeated state title is quite in the cards <laughs> for them next year. Uh, but it's been a heck of a run and they've taken advantage of the really strong feed they've gotten from Vineyard Youth Tennis up until this point. Right. And then the girls weren't the only one. Boys put together a pretty special run this year yeah. too. Uh, first South sectional title since I believe 2013, and then they lost at Weston. Which look, Weston, we said before that match, don't take their record, you know, too seriously. They went 5-0 in both of their state tournament matches. They swept Martha's Vineyard, and then they swept in the Division Three state titles. They were obviously an incredibly talented team, uh, and the Vineyard boys aren't losing much. They're just losing David Crowdhammer, one of their two doubles players. Two doubles was not the strength of that team anyway, so. I expect that whole team, basically all the, str- the the key parts of that team are all going to be back next year, whether it's Owen Favreau and Spencer Pogue at one doubles, Chris Ferry, uh, uh, Eric Rubens, Max Potter, the all the singles kids should be back. So they're going to cruise through the uh, boys' Cape and Islands League again. They're probably going to have another high seed. We could see them back in the state tournament next year. I really wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Right. And Ferry, especially as an individual player, he had a very high seat. I believe he was number two in the South sectional, mm-hmm. at least in the Cape part of the bracket. So certainly uh, I think he has a chance to do something really special coming up next year. Definitely. 
You saw a cover. You covered sandwich lacrosse, right? Yeah. So it was tough, tough for the South Sectional champions, which exceeded expectations in many ways. See it season kind of come crashing down to an end at the hands of Medfield, which mm-hmm. not only looked like a Tufts University team, just like uniform wise with yep. the powder blue and the white, mm-hmm. they played like one too. And the final was twenty-one-five, pretty much over from the uh, second quarter on. Yeah. You know, Tim Ladder, who had been so good on faceoff, put together a really special season. He just could match up like usual and win enough draws to keep it competitive. Uh, he actually broke a stick in the first half, had to get it replaced, so they were kind of behind the eight ball already with that. Um, you know, Ladner still has another year, he's only a junior, and talking with him after the game, you know, I think he has a very good chance that he could definitely play at the next level, but also maybe even earn a prep school year, which would kind of give him an mm-hmm. extra year of high school absolutely, um, to really sharpen his skills and go somewhere special. I'm really happy. To, I'm really excited to see where he goes moving forward. Um, this team, though, it had some great leadership up front all year. Seniors Charlie Chapman um, up front, kind of in the midfield as well. Jacob uh, Mateo uh, leading the uh, de- defense, plus senior Cam Lopes, great scorer. Um, with all those guys going, this program still looks solid. Mm-hmm. You no know, going into the futures. Uh, scores like C.J. Wiper, Ladner, as I just mentioned, Anthony Guerrero, Aiden Rogers should all be back. Those guys were really strong on the offense this year, and they all. Sandwich also entered this year with a whole new defense and mm-hmm. um, partial part of it in the midfield as well. Um, full of first-year varsity players. Um, you had first-year varsity goalie Carson Schemenauer coming off a great hockey season. Um, you got guys like Dan Bader and Jesse Woodall in the back, also freshmen. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are all going to be back and with a whole year of experience. There's no reason to think that Sandwich can't make another run at a sectional title. They just might be, you know, some real transformative players away from becoming a program like Medfield, who just year in and year out, it, it seems to be there in a position to, you know, win a state title. Mm-hmm. But it was a great step forward, and um, I, I think these kids will take a lot of memories from uh, beating Hanover after losing to Hanover in the regular season. Absolutely. To beating that team in Hingham and uh, raising that sectional title trophy. You really can't ask much more out of a team like that that, like I said, met a lot of expectations and went even beyond what a lot of us thought. Because coming into the season, we thought Falmouth would have a really good chance of even mm-hmm. defending or playing for another sectional title just based on the fact that they had um, Colin Almeida back who's going to Penn State. Right. So, um. No, Sandwich absolutely right. exceeded expectations. They won the first sectional title right. in school history. I mm-hmm. mean, so nobody expected them to go that far, but yeah. Right, um, Mike McNeil's been part of that program since 2006, so he's clearly put in over decades worth of time into getting this program mm-hmm. into really strong. And as you mentioned with Vineyard Youth Tennis, I think in that feeder program with oh, yeah. Cape Cod, Kings, and then you know Sandwich Youth Lacrosse coming in and, and being kind of a pipeline, you're starting to see that process finally come to fruition in, in producing high-quality players as they get to the high school level. In most cases, at least with public schools, the good one, the good teams that are consistently strong every year, they have those kind of youth feeder programs. We're going to talk about DY field hockey in a minute. That's another team that has a really strong feeder of young talent. Sandwich, girls across, and field hockey has youth programs that ensure there's always con- people moving up. DY f- uh, football integrates really well with the junior Dolphins to make sure the kids are, and so does Falmouth football, to make sure they're learning the systems before they get to the varsity level. Right. And it doesn't always pan out that way. You get kids who transfer schools all the time or, you know, just happen to be really good athletes. But obviously when you see freshmen out there for first year playing varsity, Mm -hmm. any varsity sport, there's a good chance they've had a good level of preparation for that situation. Or if you're not such a good team, it's out of desperation <laughs> of just getting numbers. That's a separate issue. That's always issue. one or the other. That's a separate <laughs> issue. 
But uh, yeah, so that that was kind of a wrap uh, this week on the teams remaining mm-hmm. uh, in the tournament. It's a great run, and uh, yeah, yeah, four teams so going up. deep is really good. I mean, that hasn't happened since I've been here. And my first in the uh, spring, you mean in the spring? Right. Uh, that my first spring was 2015, and I think we had three that year of Vineyard Girls, Barnstable Boys, uh, and then St. John Paul baseball. Uh, so it's best run in at least five years. And I'm betting if I went back. Uh, bit it'll have been even longer. And then one last point on the cross, you know that midfield team that was yep. so good actually lost to Winchester in the final eleven ten in a thriller. Um, you know, just kind of goes to show you the the, the top notch level of some of these programs. But at the same time, somebody pointed out that a lot of these tournament games mm-hmm. were closer than in years past. There were only, I believe, like two or three games that were decided by ten goals or more. So um, you know, to see that more competitive level in boys lacrosse coming together, I think that's a good sign. Moving forward. Agreed. You want to get to our favorite storylines from the year? Yeah, sure. You want to kick it off? You're talking about DY field yeah. hockey. So so these are kind of three teams or stories we followed that uh, you know we really like that we're going to remember from this year. My first one, Dennis Yarmouth field hockey. Undefeated run. They, uh, they had a draw or two uh, to the Division II state title. It's their first title since 1987. This was a really fun team to follow. You were able. You covered the state championship. I covered a lot of the other games leading up to it, including the state semifinal against Watertown, which was one of the most emotional wins I've I've ever covered. You know, to to come back and dethrone a team that had just owned Division Two for years uh, and had knocked Dy out. A lot of these same players, you know, had the the sadness of being eliminated in 2017, and then to come back and win this one on an Abby Hicks goal in the last, it was like in the last two minutes. Incredibly emotional win and so much fun to follow this team. Yeah, I think I made the comparison in blasphemy uh, warning here, you know, a little bit like the miracle on ice in a sense that, that the semifinal was so much more emotional, knocking off a 10-time defending state champion yeah. that when you rolled it over into the next game and the actual state championship, there was so much unpredictability with the Western Mass team. These right. teams don't really know each other. Yep. But they still took command early on by scoring first, and I think that was huge, even though Greenfield did punch back and uh, tie and that a, game. And had a penalty corner with the time. The had clock. like three or four penalty yeah, corners. Yeah, so they, so they <laughs> had a chance to tie it with 0-0-0 left on the clock. But Right. And a rule that I will never understand, Greenfield actually put the ball in the back of the net, but the whistle had already gone mm-hmm. for a, um, I believe it was a kick on DY, so it just set up another penalty corner, so... Uh, a lot of people who didn't understand field hockey weren't too happy about that, but that's just kind of the rule in general. Even if the ball goes in, if there's a whistle or there's a violation, it's dead right there, and they mm-hmm. go take the penalty corner again. So, uh, But it was a great win and just great determination by a, a team that kind of almost seemed like a team of destiny in a way. Yeah, and I think this was definitely their best chance to win it. They had a very strong senior class, obviously. Shelby Dunn, Renee Levesque, uh, Lucia Gurkis. There are more. Those are the three that are coming, you know, coming at me right now. They also had some very good underclassmen: Lee Holmes, Avery Nardone, Abby Hicks, as I mentioned. And then you have the two McGaffigan twins, Kayla, who had the best, like the highest scoring run since uh, Coach Mary O'Connor has been with the program. She was just pretty much unstoppable in field hockey and, if we're being fair, ice hockey. Uh, but they're losing all those seniors, and they're losing the McGaffigans who are going to a prep school next year. Tabor, so, right? I Tabor, yeah. So. They're going to have to find a lot of new talent, which I'm sure they will. I don't know how they replace all the scoring that player they got from players like Dunn and especially Kayla McGaffigan. Mm. I mean, it's a lot of offense they're going to have to find again. I mean, same way they kind of always <laughs> put yeah, together, right? Yeah, they're going to be good again. I, I would right. probably pick them to win the – well, there's no ACL, but I would probably pick right. them to win the new 
Cayman Islands League large next year. Right. Um, players like Lily Holmes, I think, are going to be really big up front mm-hmm. this year. Absolutely. I, mean, I think she was a bit overshadowed with all the scoring talent up front, but you know, the year before, she was really good she was coming up scorer, on varsity. Yeah. yeah, so I think she's due to have a really big season to kind of be the leader and very all likelihood a captain, I think, for this team coming up this year. I would expect so. So um, very interesting, though, but certainly DY over the last few years has kind of been that gold standard of how you build a program. Mm-hmm. And um, they make the sport really fun to watch, just yeah. how technically sound they play and how much energy they play with. And they make it easy to learn how to – like when I came here, my previous job was in Oklahoma where field hockey is not a varsity sport. I knew very little about it. Watching them play as soundly as they do, I was able to pick up the strategy, the placement, uh, the how to play the game, basically. I learned watching this team, uh, which has made it uh, really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. What was uh, your first favorite team? I, I got to go with NASA Boys Soccer. Just, yeah. you know, they really cemented a championship era, I thought, with their second undefeated state title run. Mm-hmm. Um, Calping out with a 3-0 win over Arlington. It's 16 shutouts this season, which almost is even more impressive than you know, the, the fact that uh, they were able to put up some big numbers on teams, you know, beating New Bedford a couple times. Um, and that's not bad for a team that also gave up a goal in the first minute of their season opener against <laughs> Somerville um, th- for that defense to be buttoned up like that. I thought was really impressive. And they also won a state title the year after losing James McCauley, arguably one of the greatest players who's ever come through that program. Mm-hmm. Um, and with their goals who score got – they they just they came up with different guys who yeah. seemed to be a different hero in each game. Cormac Parker, Ramel Brown, Spencer Rushnick, just top to bottom. There's just so much talent on this squad. And it, it was a tough situation, you know, with their championship game being moved today. That's something we didn't even talk about with the Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Getting the championship day actually moved back right. one day. Yeah, same thing it with St. Joe Baseball. It yeah. does throw off your uh, balance a little bit, but, I mean, I guess it's the same for both teams. But still, you know, Nasa still answered the call and won that game pretty handily. Have to be really impressed with All-American defender Abdel Tawabi. Yeah, I was going to bring him up, yeah. Was just so key on defense and just just calming, just a calming presence, I guess, for all the young guys who he played around just to say, you know, just do your job. I got your back. Mm-hmm. and We're going to be fine. And in the state championship, Tawabi was really good. I mean, he, his ability to just sort of range all over the field and just break up anything that was kind of coming his way really threw off uh, Arlington's ability to attack basically you know anytime they would chip it he would just head the ball away it wasn't always one of his teammates but it was just break it up break it up break it up keep forcing the other team to reset and re-attack and they could never really get an offensive rhythm you know they were only Nasson only led I believe 1-0 after at halftime but it very much felt like Arlington kind of broke down a little bit in the second half because they just could not get anything past the back line they couldn't challenge anything Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no reason. I mean, this team, this program's a factory that they're just going to keep rolling and rolling. Yeah. And you mentioned with the new Cape and Islands, we'll talk a little bit more about that later too. With the talent coming back, Jolie Jack, goalie Jack Avalar, yeah. who's a two-time champion already, um, he will be back next year. I mean, this program over three seasons, 63-2-1. and one. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason to think the Warriors can't come back for more with guys like Avalar, Benny LeBranch, who was right. really solid in the midfield, Anthony Lavati. That's just to name a few. All these guys are coming back, and I think they have a really good chance of uh, trying to go back-to-back, which is very hard to do in any sport. Oh, yeah. No, I, th- I think they'll definitely finish with another high record, another high seed, and then we'll see what happens in the postseason. Uh, the second story I wanted to bring up that I really liked, I, I loved kind of following Nantucket swimming this winter. 
uh, best season ever for the uh, specifically the boys. The girls were also very good. The, that's the best season ever for the boys. They won the first South sectional championship in any sport in Nantucket history. They finished second in the state, uh, which was pretty much the highest they could do because the team that won just had so many qualifiers. There's no way they were going to be able to pass them. They won three individual gold medals, uh, which they'd only won one before then. Now they have three individual event medals. Obviously, Tyler Rothke was kind of the key for them this year. He was last year as well. Uh, but this team got a ton of contributions from all kinds of players, from uh, Cameron Gottlieb, Jared O'Connor, James Tafe, Grant Beebe. I mean, this team was really good. They had a really core group of, let's say, about nine or ten swimmers and divers who really came together and performed above expectations the whole year, and especially uh, in the postseason. Yeah, they, their curve was definitely up just in terms of getting faster and faster, and that's mm -hmm. the way you're supposed to go when swimming. And it's hard when you're when you're counting on a smaller program like this to just be to leaning on these guys. But I mean, they were just exceptionally strong, and they just kept getting better and better, and um, came really close to even when they got to the state tournament. Mm -hmm. Definitely made a run for run for for a little bit. Yeah, they were leading early, but it's just when you only have about 10 or 11 qualifiers right. and the other team's got 35 or, or, or whatever, it's just, unless all those other swimmers stink and don't score at all, it's really hard to beat. And the other team will just grind out points, which is what they did in their sectional as well. Right. So that wrapped up with swimming. We had a couple guests on the show too, you know, yeah. with, uh, I believe you had Taff, right? Uh, we had Rothke come Rothy, 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 And I think Pignato called in too, didn't That's he? Right, yeah. the Cape Cod Classic. So uh, hats off to that whole team, to Coach Pignato. Great job. I'm really excited to see what they do next year. Yeah, absolutely. Got to talk a little bit about volleyball. I know most of my stuff was in the fall. It's just such an exciting fall. You know, yep. you mentioned all the teams that made it far to have three state champions, I believe, and yeah, then and one that played in a state title game. That was certainly one of the more remarkable runs collectively. But Bourne Volleyball winning a state title was just a, a really exciting run and a team that was just kind of solid and consistent mm -hmm. all year long. And um, you think about senior captains, Cammy McEnaugh, uh, Emma Fenton, Madison Stuck, and how disappointing last year was losing in the state final. And to come back and win it, they, I mean, there's no better story than that kind of redemption. Absolutely. Um, getting you know a small taste of it and then being back at the same exact venue where you lost. And to kind of right that wrong um, was just spectacular for them. And also, I believe, beating the team that beat them before in the, was it the state semifinal of Frontier, I, I believe. Yeah, that sounds right, yeah. So... To get the redemption there as well was was great, um, but uh, Mackinac and Fenton were just uh, really great big hitters. Mm -hmm. uh, Stuck led the defense like she had all season, and while that team didn't really dominate on serves at all, especially in their state final game, um, they didn't give away too many points to the line. I think they were really good at making other teams earn it and uh, just playing consistently yeah. all year long. They led the state in aces. I mean, they were the best serving team in Massachusetts, right. and it was definitely one of their best weapons. Is just they had so many players who could go back there and put a very strong jump serve in play right. most of the time, you know. Right. I just meant in the final match, too, that they were, you know, there weren't yeah. too many points on aces, but at the same time, they were still able to recoup those and, you know, yeah, not, not, give, lot, away, not give away points. Yeah, point. not a lot of unforced errors, which is what hurt them in the state championship last year, and in some ways is what maybe hurt Barnstable, who I'm sure you're going to mention in a minute, uh, in their state final as well, is just, you know, Bourne played very solid, and force the other team to earn their points, and I think they, uh, they I think they won it in four sets. I think they yeah, lost it was three one, one, I believe. Yeah, but it was still most people were pretty confident after Bourne went up 2-0 that they were going to be able to win this thing. Right. 
And, you know, the thing is interesting, we've kind of said jokingly too, is imagine if some of these players uh, who are actually from Bourne play for Barnstable yeah. <laughs> to play for this team, they would have been untouchable. Yeah. You know, the Riley James of the world and stuff like that. But, uh, you and know. Tegan James. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Barnstable, though, I mean, it was just incredible to follow their run all year long because not only were they winning every match, Sweet. They, they didn't lose any sets or, until the uh, until the state final against Newton North. Unfortunately, the last two years, that's that's been the team that's eliminated them. Yep. Ashley um, Wang, from Harvard, really good. <laughs> prevented them from winning a state title, yeah. Um, but now that Riley James is off to Brian, Ingrid Murphy's heading to Bentley, the question moving forward is where does Barnstable's offense come from next year? Um, obviously, James and Murphy, with both graduating, that's a total of over 2,600 kills, yeah. 900 digs, 200 aces. Um, Tegan James will be back, so will Libero, Josie DeLuga, but this team's really going to have to rethink its offense, I think. Um, you know, it's going to be one of those things where, yes, you have a program, you have a pipeline, you have new mm-hmm. players who are going to be coming in, but certainly the impact that James was able to have over four years yeah. is just, it's very hard to replace somebody who's just got that much power and plays with that much passion. Absolutely. You know, I remember watching Riley James as a freshman in preseason, uh, going there for the first time. And she was already jump serving very, very, really hard and competitively. And having played volleyball in high school, and I remember being how bad I was as a freshman (laughs) in preseason, I remember thinking, this girl is maybe the best freshman I've ever seen. Uh, And she turned out to be exactly that. I mean, she had more kills than anybody in state history. We talked about this in the fall uh, wrap-up season or episode I hope that next year Barnstable is able to distribute its offense a little bit more. You know, when you have the best hitter in the state at outside and you have your second best hitter is also an outside hitter in Ingrid Murphy, all of your sets or the grand majority of them are either going to be to the outside or they're going to be trick plays that run your outside hitter to somewhere else on the court. I'd love to see them work in more of their middle hitters and right side hitters if they can and see if they can't catch teams a little bit with a more distributed offense, which is what they did when they won their 2015 state title, where James was a good hitter but not actually the go-to hitter. It wasn't until 2016 that she became the, you know, the ace, the, the person they had to hit every time. Right. And I know your uh, final favorite storyline was the closest thing we had to a Hoosiers-type story, yeah. I guess, this year in yeah. basketball. Cape Cod Academy boys uh, this past winter. It's a good balance. We talked about the spring a lot in the start of the episode. Then you had a lot of fall teams you liked. I had a lot of winter teams that I liked. So it was a good year. Uh, CCA boys, the Seahawks, they were so much fun to watch. I, they were this group of all underclassmen. Their only senior got hurt real early in the season and was down for the entire year. You know, they loved playing with each other. They were undersized, so they always had to be scrappy and they had to play really good kind of full-court defense because they didn't want to give teams a lot of chances to get into the paint uncontested. You know, they had great shooting, uh, and they made it all the way to the South semifinals and really were in a position to knock out a Cohasset team that uh, had a lot – that was much taller. I mean, they had a huge height advantage and seemed like the better team for a lot of it. And CCA – and was certainly a team much more used to postseason – uh, performance, CCA was right there with them, and if it wasn't for a couple of turnovers in the last minute, they they really could have won that game. I don't think they could have beaten Abington. I mean, Abington was really, really good this year. They just kind of cruised to a state title, but they could have beaten Cohasset, uh, and I think that's going to be motivation for them uh, next year yeah. when all of them should be back. And, and I think you're seeing with that, with that group that Adam Rose inherited, mm-hmm. I think you're really seeing 
him form a program after he kind of bounced around a little bit. I think he's finally found a home there for a little bit and just trying to build up this group. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. I don't know if he's going to be at Cape Cod Academy forever. We've seen a lot of times coaches coach there for you know a few years, build up a mm-hmm. team, show their success, and then kind of move on to a bigger program. But either way, I, I thought he has to get a lot of credit for taking over that program and really rising it to the level um, that it could be. I mean, they got some really good guys that come through there. They play in a in a rather favorable league, I think at times, yeah, teams like Nantucket are tough, but they even beat Nantucket at home. Yeah. They want to come back, you know, fashion. So um, I think this program has some real promising future. And with those guys likely all back, I mean, cause I know there's usually some one or two transfers each year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It should be an interesting team to watch next year. Yeah. I mean, if they all come back, Jane Greenleaf, uh, Alex Marchand, uh, Andrew James, Cam Poles, AJ Lusty, Chris Kenny, I mean, they could be good again. We talked about how they could use a little bit more front court presence because Cam Poles is kind of small for a center and Andrew James is a little bit undersized for a power forward. So if it's Devin Daniel or if they recruit a new forward, that would be ideal. I don't know if I think this team is going to stay together forever. You know, I talked a lot with Jaden's dad, uh, Seth, who was very noncommittal about whether or not Jaden will end up graduating from CCA or transfer somewhere else. I would maybe, I mean, I can't tell a kid what to do. I would come back for one more year where all these kids will be play, see how far he can take CCA. And then after next year, when Marchant graduates and the team loses some of its other talent, then maybe see about transferring. Obviously you're in good academic standing uh, and see if you can go somewhere where you can get recruited a little bit Mm -hmm. better. Cause that is what he wants. He wants to play college at the next level. He does club and AAU and showcases I don't think CCA is the best opportunity for him to get scouted. So if he does need to transfer, I think that's probably the right call. It would be cool to see him come back at least for next year and see what uh, he, he and the Seahawks can do one more time. Right. And my last one real quickly, you know, Barnesville boys hockey, you know, frankly, I cover this team more than any in the winter. Yeah. And it was just really fun to see a high level hockey mm-hmm. played by the squad game after game and, and just make adjustments even when things didn't go so great. And remember, this is a program that won just three games, I believe, two seasons prior. And, you know, this season they took eventual state champion Duxbury to double overtime in the sectional semifinals, and that required three-on-three hockey to determine a winner. <laughs> Plenty of chances for Barnesville to win that game. It's, it's a lot of what could have been, but um, that team definitely played its best hockey at the end of the year. And just to make it to that sectional semifinal, which seemed so far away, mm-hmm years ago and not that long ago was a uh, pretty remarkable in my opinion it's a real tight group of 13 seniors including captain jack cordero alternate captain brendan jones also sean jones all those guys beat falmouth on home ice so i'm sure that's one of their consolation oh, yeah. prizes to the year to say the least and that's something that hadn't happened in quite some time um there were still many young guys though who were called up and stepped up and i think that really bodes well for the future of that program kids like chris cordero yep. jack's younger brother i think is going to be a leader for that team mm-hmm. next year um, and that squad's going to reunite on the ice just five months from now. So it shows you how, how quick things go. Um, and also Brian Fry's coming back as well. I think he's got a very good chance of being a captain uh, this year after being an alternate captain um, in the winter. So I think he's going to have to step up and be that scoring leader uh, coming up this season. So I agree. It was a good uh, winner for hockey between, you know, Bourne going really deep and Barnstable. Right. For the boys, that's a pretty good, you know, two teams going real deep. That's better than the last couple of years. No, so. Absolutely. And um, I mean, part of it was because they did have a first round buy. So that was sure. a bit aided this year because there were fewer teams that made it. But still, you know, for, for Barnstable to put on that performance, I think spoke, spoke well of them. And then it can't leave out Fallon with girls hockey either, winning twice in the playoffs, beating Situate at home, and then a huge knockout 
win over DUI five oh, four yeah. in the actual first round. So they won the preliminary and then they won the first round. Mm-hmm. Proceeded to lose in the quarterfinals to a very strong Notre Dame Academy program. But um, that was certainly a team that's got a lot of young talent, a lot of eighth graders and now freshmen uh, coming up, and uh, I think should be set for the future. I agree. Um, you know, coming into the fall season, a big thing that we're going to be talking about, you know, coming in and you had a big story back in the winter is a mm-hmm. new Cape and Islands league that formed, um, certainly feels like a new chapter of Cape Cod sports is coming up this fall. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic plays out when these teams that might've played each other once in a season as a non-league game are going to become now mm-hmm. league rivals, so to speak. And to not have kind of Marshall as this looming presence for all the big schools on Cape is also, uh, interesting. It'll be Interesting to see how all that shakes out. We'll see if it translates to more crossover between the big schools and the small schools. You know, there's no mandatory requirement that the big teams play the small teams, but there are a lot of kind of big, small rivalries uh, that teams have put together on their own. DY field hockey always plays Monomoy twice, for instance. Now they're going to be in different divisions of the same league. Maybe we could see some more Falmouth versus Falmouth Academy games, which I think would be fun to watch in some sports. I'm, like girls soccer, I think right. would be entertaining, or or maybe lacrosse, um, basketball. I think that would be a little bit lopsided, but um, yeah, I mean, look, it all depends on the sports. And when you have some sports in big schools, yeah, that aren't as strong in other sports. Not to pick on Barnesville softball, but mm-hmm. you know they could play more of those Cape teams and have some really much more closer games. Not that that didn't already happen, anyways, because again, I think Barnesville played Monomoy and even gave sure. Monomoy a game, you know, earlier in the year, but. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it'll be interesting. From a football perspective, I don't know if we're going to see too much change, only no. in the sense that that's more divisional anyway. Yeah. Like when Barnesville's schedule come out, I think they added Nossett this year. Yeah, so that's... That could be an interesting game. You know, Nossett's building up their program a little bit. Um, we saw them kick, you know, end their season with a spectacular win over DY, you know, last second uh, one-yard plunge mm-hmm. into the snow. <laughs> um, was certainly <laughs> a freezing cold, great yeah. way for their, for their season to end. But... Uh, Definitely, the the future is uh, definitely going to be very interesting, and, and we're going to see how that kind of emerges in different sports. And we'll see what changes, you know, after next year. So in the fall, St. John Paul is going to stay in its football conference for, for one more year, and then it's going to join whatever this is, and then that's going to throw everything in, into chaos again for a little while while they add another team and probably redo the divisions once again. Uh, one idea that Coach uh, – uh, Paul Funk, who is no longer going to be the football coach at yeah, DY. Principal but, now. Yeah. Man but, in charge. <laughs> yeah, but was when I spoke to him said is it'd be cool to have an all cape or at least an all cape and islands track meet or cross country meet. And I think that would be a neat idea. And there certainly are facilities where that could be done. Uh, the winter, it would be tough, but there could definitely be an all cape outdoor track meet. There could definitely be an all cape cross country meet. Uh, that would be a really interesting thing to see. And I, those are sports where I don't think the smaller schools are obviously disadvantaged uh, and it would be neat to see how everybody kind of matches up against each other right but certainly individually it'd be very good to see some you know some really good runners say Sturgis comes up with a really good runner see how they match up with some of the larger schools sure that kind of does play itself out a little bit when you get to some of the bigger meets or like like twilight meet for example but even then you have divisions so Mm -hmm. yeah it'll it'll be very interesting to see what happens and some new rule changes coming in football is going to have federation rules now which uh, I think the big thing people are talking about, I think, is cut blocks, cut blocking outside the tackle box. Mm-hmm. Um, Twelve minute quarters, I think, instead of eleven minutes or ten minutes, as we see in some games. So we'll see. We'll see how that manifests itself. I'm, I'm sure referees are going to be very interesting to see uh, how that changes. 
Um, Baseball, they're also, I right. believe, talking about imposing they have pitch, a pitch count, count now and mandatory rest periods. So, and it's only it's like eighty five pitches or something like that is your limit, which. A lot of these players will go longer than that, 90 pitches or so. Yeah. So we'll see Times how that changes. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, preserving arms, okay. On the other hand, if players believe they can go deeper, I don't know why they shouldn't be allowed to do so. They know their bodies pretty well, I think, by that point. Well, and I think somebody said it. The reason why I think Massachusetts is finally breaking away from its own rules and going to federation, I think they want a seat at the table when it comes to negotiating what the federation rules are sure. in some of the larger sports. So, yes, you have to play under what the rules are now, but I think what they're hoping is that they can have more influence and say, this isn't working for us, why don't we try this, mm-hmm. and then maybe Massachusetts gets a waiver an exception, or they encourage other states to follow their model. So, I mean, again, when you don't follow their rules, they have no reason to listen to you, but right. when you do well, then you might be able to more effectively change the game itself. So It's an interesting idea. So we'll see, uh, like again, how that manifests cool. in some of the larger sports. But uh, I think that'll just about do it then, yeah. right? Um, if you missed the, uh, this episode or any previous episode of Cape Sports Now, you can check us out um, on our website, capegodtimes.com slash capesportsnow. You can also go to our Facebook, Cape God Times Facebook page, um, download the podcast, Google... I always forget the ones. Google, Spotify, <laughs> Apple products, wherever you can find podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Twitter at Steve underscore Derdarian. Uh, my last name, D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. And I'm at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. And you can listen to him on the Cape, uh, Cape League Corner podcast uh, yeah. throughout the summer. So Which you're is- not done podcasting. I'm taking no. a bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the fall, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely.